Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. The issue of young people's mental health and psychological well-being appeared in some of the previous episodes of our podcast when we were discussing the impact of COVID-19 on the lives of young people and on the youth services. It was also discussed during the third European Youth Work Convention and the final declaration from the convention highlights the importance of mental health promotion in youth work. What is the impact of the pandemic and all the restrictive measures implemented all over the world on young people's mental health and psychological well-being? How can youth work and youth policy support young people whose mental health suffered? We are discussing these issues with Stefanos Mastro Theodoros, whose research paper on effects of COVID-19 on young people's mental health and psychological well-being has recently been published by the Youth Partnership. There are two more people with us today in this episode, Nikita Sanaula from the European Youth Forum and Sean Elul from the Advisory Council on Youth in the Youth Department of the Council of Europe. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and together with Lana Pasic from the Youth Partnership, we will be hosting this discussion. Enjoy listening. When we are talking about the mental health, I actually should start asking you, how are you doing? Hi, I'm actually doing great today. It's a really, really sunny day in Brussels, so very happy. (laughs) Okay, Sean, how are you doing? I have to agree with Nikita. I'm so happy it's sunny in Brussels. I woke up this morning and let's say my Maltese side was feeling completely at home. So I'm in a very good mood and it's nice to at least uh, go outside and enjoy some sun in the afternoon. (laughs) Well, at least you can go outside. Some people can't and I mean, it's quite visible what kind of impact the weather can have on mental health. Stefanos, how are you doing? I'm also doing fine, Derek, but uh, it's exactly what you said. Some people in some countries cannot go out because of the restrictive measures. So, yeah, I am feeling right now well, but, you know. And Lana, how are you doing? I'm feeling digitally overwhelmed. Today, it is sunny. It's wonderful. But I think I would be better if I was doing this podcast from the park live, maybe than from the desk and the computer. But that's okay. That's a digital reality we live in now. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's so important to talk about young people's mental health. Okay. I may ask you later, what are you doing to keep this kind of spirit? And what kind of strategies are you using to to feel well? Okay, mental health, mental health of young people, COVID-19, restrictions, a very big topic. Lana, can you tell us a little bit about the research that has been done by the Youth Partnership in this domain, in this area? What kind of research, why, in what kind of context? Sure, last year when the pandemic started and when the lockdown happened, we realized that this was having a big impact, not only on young people's lives, on everybody's lives, but since we are working with young people, for us, this was the main area of interest. And we started a COVID-19 Knowledge Hub last year. And within the Knowledge Hub, there were different topics that were exploring how young people were particularly affected by the lockdown. And uh, mental health appeared to be one of the very important topics, one of the areas that needed more research and also something that we could really look into 
thanks to having members of PAIR last year who were exploring the topic of mental health. So then we approached Stefanos and asked him to tell us what does his practice uh, say about and his research say about young people's mental health, particularly when it comes to COVID. So I will uh, then ask Stefanos uh, to uh, maybe explain the research that he did and what was the impact of uh, the pandemic on young people's mental health. Yes, thank you, Lana. I think what is important to say is that young people, adolescents, and then young adults are in a significant and very, let's say, transitional period in their life. They need to develop autonomy. They need to question things. They need to build their future. So I think it is a particularly sensitive period in terms of mental health, in terms of of effects that COVID can have on them. And I did this research where I looked for different effects it might have And I also structured it in terms of who might be more vulnerable to the effects of COVID, for what reason, and what can be done, actually. So by focusing on factors that can affect some people more than others, so by focusing on who is more vulnerable, we can also predict maybe better and focus our uh, target our interventions. Thank you, Stefanos, uh, for this explanation. So how the pandemic actually affects young people? What, what happens with the mental health of young people and their well-being? I, I think it's very important to distinguish between the impact of COVID itself and, of course, of the measures that have been taken to control the pandemic. So I think the most important factor in this respect is the restrictive measures, of course, that young people cannot go out, they cannot go to school, they cannot invest in their future, or they feel like that. Another thing before I start talking about the actual effects uh, that I find very important is to distinguish between the first wave and the second or even the third wave. When the research was done, it was based on data from the first wave of COVID. So back then, we see with the data that came from that wave that there is especially an increase in anxiety and especially a decrease in life satisfaction, for example, There are also some changes on depression, so uh, depression for some young people might increase. But I think the most significant effect in terms of mental health is the decrease in life satisfaction. So young people report that they are less satisfied with their lives during the first lockdown. And this happens, of course, because essential needs they have, like autonomy development, identity development. So they need to discover who they are. They need to build their social network. This all starts falling apart through the measures, of course, and through the uh, actual threat from the pandemics. I think that's very broadly the effects. Nikita, Sean, what are your thoughts about it? What kind of impact do you observe or, or you know about? Because I know that European Youth Forum did the, the, the research, a uh, global survey. You are both young people as well. So it's also looking from this perspective, I think it would be really interesting to see. So as you mentioned, we undertook this piece of research with the ILO, the UN uh, High Commissioner on Human Rights and other partners to undertake essentially a global survey to understand the impacts of the the pandemic after the first wave. So the findings are based on uh, 112 different countries across the world. And what we found in that is very striking. Essentially, that 50% of young people across the world are showing signs of possibly being affected by anxiety and or depression with an additional 17% probably affected by it. So these are really significant findings and we also see that young women are more susceptible than uh, young men. 
it was mostly felt by young people who have had significant disruptions to either their education or their employment. And I think this makes a lot of sense given what we know about young people's situation in the labor market. We know that the young people in Europe have the highest unemployment rate of any age group and also that they face significant challenges when it comes to accessing social welfare. They're often discriminated against on the basis of their age, but also because of the kind of jobs that they undertake. So for example, undertaking a lot of temporary contracts or internships might not make you eligible to access the types of benefits that can support you during the specific period. So what we're seeing is a lot of fear and uncertainty that young people are highlighting to us. Hey, thank you. What about you, Sean? Your thoughts about the impact on mental no, that, health? No, that, that's brilliant because Nikita laid it out perfectly for me to, to talk about what I was thinking. I feel an underlying point to be able to link towards uh, Stefanos's valuable research and also the European Youth Forums is indeed related to the systematic levels of uncertainty our societies are facing at the moment. And young people are feeling that exponentially, just as Nikita pointed out, especially because of the vulnerability young people find themselves in with regards to their social groups. We already know that there are barriers to employability for young people because of their age. And the repercussions of this pandemic with regards to one's accessibility towards education, even the potential of having jobs with regards to internships, it puts young people in an even more vulnerable position. And I feel the most damaging part in that is with regards to uncertainty higher and higher levels and degrees of uncertainty piling on each other. You have less security with regards to economic security and securing a job. You have less security with regards to being able to secure your education, if indeed your education is being, the manner of your education is being changed. You have less uncertainty with regards to how you can plan your future and how you can hope to invest the, the present moment as well. And so these systematic un uncertainty is definitely having an impact on young people. And that is just taking it from the practical standpoint, going into the mental health standpoint and the impact that isolation can have on young people can arguably be called a second pandemic or a hidden pandemic alone. And this is not just being seen with regards to the impacts of isolation, but it's also being seen with the impact it's having on people with regards to the dynamics they also have within their household. Probably the most shocking statistic I saw with regards to the impact of the pandemic is the rise of domestic violence cases, for example, that were seen in call centers at the, the start of the first wave, let alone now. A lot of topics probably we could discuss already from this first question. We were talking about factors that actually influence uh, mental health of young people, like isolation, lack of social contacts, and in some cases not a very nice atmosphere at home as well. One of the things that, that happened to young people most of the countries in the world was education online. So what happened to, to young people's mental health when it comes to this race of, of in using social media and using the internet in general? So digitalization, because this is a part of our lives, of the lives of young people. It has been before, but nowadays it's really strong. It's really visible. Stefanos, what does the research say about especially the social media use? Well, yes, there are Two different things to talk here again, to discuss here. So first is the, the, the social media use that pre-existed in general as a phenomenon, increasing phenomenon in uh, the youth in the modern society. And there the data seems to be showing that there are not many negative effects 
there are few negative effects, few positive weak effects also, but not overall, not many effects of social media use. Of course, they differ by, by person. So for some young people, there might be more positive and for some other young people, more negative. But overall, on average, it seems like social media use doesn't have that much of an effect. But now, during the pandemic, this is, of course, totally different. And it has, again, I think, several aspects. One aspect is that this is the only way to connect with other people. And the other aspect is that digitalization, in that sense, also is part of the daily life in terms of schooling, homeschooling, or working from home. Regarding homeschooling, for example, research shows that this is problematic. This might be problematic in many respects. First, because not everyone has the same access to the internet or to even to laptops in several countries. And now, of course, we're talking about Europe as a whole. So, so for some countries, there is, of course, heterogeneity and variability across countries, but also within countries. Some young children, young adolescents or young people might not have a laptop or might not have two laptops. A family might not have two laptops to give to two children or they might not have access to the internet. So that creates an inequality in who can have quality education during the pandemic. Another thing that has been shown from recent research uh, actually published in 2021 is that this homeschooling uh, setting can create uh, a lower self-efficacy, we call it. So uh, lower expectations to young people that they can do well. And if you don't believe that you can actually do well, then you are not investing that much effort. And if you learn that this is, you know, if you if the expectations are indeed low, if self-efficacy decreases, that's something that might stay there for longer period, even after the pandemic. So it seems like there might be an erosion effect that uh, the self-efficacy and the confidence that young people might have in themselves in doing well at school or at work or at the university, it can be eroded due to this homeschooling environment. And this can be a long lasting effect. We don't know, of course, we cannot say the future, but that's something to keep in mind and be alert towards. Okay, Sean, I can see that you would like to, to speak. Definitely, because digitalization is my topic and, and it's one of the, the things I follow in the advisory council. Communication specifically. I agree with everything that, that Stefano just said. However, I do come from the perspective where I believe we sometimes tend to demonize disruptive technology or, or digital tools without actually looking at them as a tool. In the sense, I've, I hear a lot of people, for example, speak negatively about social media and its potential impact on mental health. However, I generally do feel that a technology in itself is a tool uh, which can allow you to bring about a certain outcome. Like in the case of this pandem pandemic, it's allowing us to have a conversation with minimal risk to each other from a health and safety perspective. However, when we do talk about the impact of digital tools on mental health uh, specifically, I feel that more outlines the fact that our societies in themselves do not yet have the tools to be able to deal with mental health issues. One of the ways Facebook, for example, ensures income is to make sure that consumers remain on the platform. And the dopamine-based system as to how social media networks work does indeed make them mildly addictive. However, doesn't that also 
point out the fact that we're not preparing young people to be able to deal with addiction or to deal with the repercussions of mental health and to be able to be prepared with regards to self-reflecting on themselves and their current uh, state as human beings. I, I do come from that background that I believe tech in itself isn't inherently good or bad and any inequalities that we see in their usage are shining a light basically on inequalities that already existed. But last point, with regards to digital tools, I do believe that they have helped us exponentially as young people. Like this podcast wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for the internet and if it wasn't for digital solutions. And I can't begin to imagine what the pandemic would have been like if I did not have access uh, to digital tools to be able to at least have some form of social communication. So that, I believe, is a major plus. Yes, we have to be very clear that, that these digital tools actually helped a lot of people to get psychological counseling. These digital tools helped them to get therapy and so on. Yeah, what I also really want to highlight is the issues around work taking place online. There's loads of studies that show the very severe impact that technological overuse has on young people and young people are also shown in much of the research to be more prone to the impacts of constant connectivity which can affect their sleep quality, life satisfaction, academic performance and also make them more vulnerable to mental ill health. But I think what's really important to say here is that the reality of the, the situation of young people in the job market, the fact that they are so uh, vulnerable, puts them in a position where oftentimes what we're seeing is actually that people are working more now, their work hours are longer uh, as a result of being able to work from home. And with young people, I think that's more pronounced because there is a fear that if I'm not connected, if I'm not available to my employer at all times, young people are often the first to be let go. So you have to show that enthusiasm and that availability, otherwise risk being the first on the chopping block. So I think that's really important. And something that we at the European Youth Forum really advocate for is the importance of the right to disconnect as a fundamental way to safeguard young people from the effects of constant connectivity in the workplace, but also to ensure that they have a work-life balance in kind of a systematic way, and also to protect them in a legislative way from these kind of vulnerabilities that they do face from the labor market. So I think that's also a really important aspect of that. I would like to say that I agree with what Son said before about the technology being a tool that might have a very positive aspect, of course. But I wanted to also note in, regarding to what also Nikita just said, is that, of course, there's a difference between younger people who are like post-adolescents, so they're young adults, let's say, that might be at work, and the difference between people that are younger, that are going still to school. And what I would like to add is that the inequality that was already um, discussed and pointed out, the pre-existing uh, inequality, is not only an individual thing or a family thing. It's not that, that one family is unequal to another family. It's also maybe a, a state thing or maybe even like a community thing. So for example, some schools that are private might have a better system working or they might have access to a better online teaching service than the state, for example. So young people who are going to a private school, they have a better online education, way better online education than young people attending public schools, for example. So we should be thinking of inequalities, I think, in many different levels. 
One is individual, family level, and then of course is community or country or region of the world, whatever. So, yeah, and it's I think it's clear we agree that pre-existing inequalities are getting magnified actually through this pandemic. And speaking of digitalization, now of course is a tool, of course has very positive aspects. We should be actually embracing those positive aspects definitely. But I think given the current pandemic, you know that. Everything has been overwhelming, actually, with the new technology. We should also find a balance. You know, for example, yes, we have this meeting now, which wouldn't be able without technology. But for example, you know, young people need to go out, to go to school and to meet other people. So I think there should be a balance somewhere in between. I think a lot can be said to follow up on all, all your arguments and additions, especially when it comes to young people in the workplace, but also in the school place and kind of creating the social capital that they need not only to study and to create their networks, but also to remain in their workplaces because the research shows also that young people are the first ones to be cut partially because they haven't had time to create the social capital and to connect with the people in the workplaces. But there is also a question of young people starting their first, whether internship or even the first professional experience without ever having had contact uh, with those that they work with outside of the digital forum. But to connect also to what Stefanos was saying on inequalities, I think the question for us is also to look uh, beyond the challenges in, in terms of what can be done from different sectors, from different parts of the youth sector to address the questions regarding mental health and well-being of young people and what can different youth services do? To that uh, question, I would like to point to non-COVID related, but a study, that the results of which I liked a lot. So it, it regarded decreasing depression in a community setting or something like that. And I think it was in some African country, I don't remember, I cannot recall now. And they did an experiment. In half of the group, they, they split the group uh, of patients in half, and or families, I don't remember. And they in half of the group, they gave uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a highly effective uh, therapy against depression. And to the other half, they just gave an amount of money that they could survive and have a better life. And uh, even after some time passed, even after the intervention was finished, the, the second, the latter group who got the money actually did better psychologically than the first one. So now getting back to the question, what can youth policy and what can youth services do regarding how you know the pandemic is affecting young people's mental health? I think we should be reducing also the tangible aspects of what creates these mental health problems. For example, yes, increased chances for people to get good contacts with each other, increase the chances that they can get spaces where they can meet. Yes, try to, to, to focus on those who are more in need, who, who would have less access to services or to good schooling. And of course, being a psychologist, I also focus on the individual and the family. And I think that trying to target those families who might be more prone to conflicts or they, they might be in a worse situation regarding the need to actually go out there and work or who might not have the money, for example, to, to hire someone to take care of the children and they have to do all the, you know, all the things together. So I think reducing all the factors that create an environment in the family of tension would help reduce the effects of the pandemic uh, on the mental health of young people. 
Okay, what is the response from the European Youth Forum and from the Advisory Council when it comes to addressing the issue of mental health of young people? Yeah, so I think what's important to say here is that, so even before this pandemic started, if I remember correctly, according to the WHO, suicide was the second highest cause of death among young people. So even before all of this happened, the youth mental health crisis has been something that's been going on for a long while. And I believe it's also a lot of it is a legacy of the 2008 economic and financial crisis and the impacts that that's had. There's a lot of research that shows that, unfortunately, the consequences of being a young person going through a recession are actually lifelong and have impacts on your job prospects, your wage for the rest of your life. I think one of the key issues that we see is that there's not been a lot of mental health services that have been accessible to young people or tailored to young people and the specific needs addressing the specific transition that young people face. And I think this is a really key thing. And I would say that, of course, cost is a big part of that as well. There are services available, but unfortunately, they're not always financially available to young people, especially if a young person wants to be able to reach out without necessarily having parental support, for example. So I think this is a really important thing for us that we really want to see more investment in youth-specific free services for mental health. And in addition to the mental health services and learning from the situation with the previous financial crisis, we also see that it's not just about providing those mental health care services, which are essential, but this also has to come hand in hand with ensuring that young people's rights, you know, social and economic rights are met so that we help reduce the stress factors. So that means ensuring that there's a social welfare system, for example, that is supportive of all young people, whether they're students or unemployed or underemployed so that they always know that they have a safety net and at least we can remove some of the factors around the fear of poverty for example so i think this is like the two-pronged approach that we really need to see i think it's also our responsibility as youth experts and as young people to be advocates to raise awareness with regards to the importance of mental health issues and to fight the potential stigma and taboo that could exist in the majority of european countries and and other countries as well in general because it is there and it still exists but with regards to the work that's being done from the advisory council perspective health itself isn't a um, specific priority with regards to council of europe work however there are areas in which it is involved possibly the the most pertinent one would be the european youth foundation which recently launched covid 19 focused grants that would empower youth organizations to be able to apply for grants that are directly related to covid 19. the reason why i mentioned this is because the advisory council also launched a covid 19 response group which was targeted at young people and youth organizations, basically aimed to have a dialogue with the stakeholders involved with the youth department of the Council of Europe to understand what the current needs and the current 
problems are vis-a-vis -vis this pandemic. And while I can't divulge all the information that was internally gathered over there, I can state that mental health was a key issue that was brought up repeatedly, both by individuals and by youth organizations. So it is clear that this is not just a topic on that's on the agenda, but it's also a key problem that young people are facing on a daily basis. And I would openly say as a young person as well, I am one of those young people who are recognizing this personally as well, that this is a difficult time. And it is um, incredibly hard to be able to deal with this perspective from a mental health outlook. So yes, there are COVID-19 grants being brought from the European Youth Foundation. And these COVID-19 grants, as long as they are related to the priorities of the Council of Europe and, and promoting those set priorities, can also be looking at the impacts of the pandemic through the lens of mental health. The doors are completely open to that. So if you are a young person in a youth organization listening to this podcast now, please Google the European Youth Foundation and have a look at the potential grants you can apply for because there, there are opportunities to be able to apply for funding and to be able to run projects that will help the, the young people in your societies and to be able to raise awareness on these specific issues. And just to also note, there are youth organizations right now that are making use of these grants that have adapted to the pandemic. And one interesting tool that they're using to raise awareness on the impact of COVID-19 and mental health is, in fact, podcasts, which is a, a nice little metaphor for what we're doing right here. So it's incredibly encouraging to also see youth organizations adapting to the changes that we're currently facing and trying to use these kind of tools to raise awareness within their networks. I think Sean's closing was quite a good way to indicate what are the things that could be done in practice and what can young people and youth organizations do. But also not to forget that all the issues that are raised by Stefanos and Nikita and Sean are also important points of reference for policymakers. So young people's mental health uh, needs to take into consideration all different aspects of young people's lives, not only just uh, looking at it from the angle of health itself. And it also leaves a lot to be done for us from the perspective of gathering uh, research and knowledge on how can different angles of the youth triangle support young people's well-being and mental health. Indeed, Lana, it was a nice summary of what we have discussed in this episode. Thank you all for your contribution and uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. There is more to come.